the people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history. And... Welcome and thank you for once again tuning into a brand new episode of Sake on Air. The world's very first podcast dedicated to expanding the dialogue surrounding Japan's iconic beverages of sake and shochu. My name is Justin Potts, one of your regular hosts here on the show, and this week we will be picking up where we left off last week with the folks at Isbell Farms. For those of you that missed out on last week's episode, it's certainly no prerequisite for this week. However, you'll, it definitely will provide you with a bit more backstory and a bit more context for the things we're talking about. So if you've got a moment, I recommend jumping back to the previous episode, giving that a listen, and then joining us back here as soon as you're done. Without further ado, we will go ahead and jump into part two of this interview series with the family at Isbell Farms. So then, so you start with Takara, and I imagine, um, you know, that was, I imagine that was very significant at the time just to have one, just somebody growing Yamada Nishiki or this, you know, sake specific variety, and then being able to provide that um, at, at reasonable scale and consistency. How did that initial um, connection sort of with Takata, how did that then evolve into your relationship with maybe working with other varieties or working with other breweries or sort of how has that evolved then over the last, what would have been what, 15 years or so? So it really happened slowly and, and um, we kind of kept quiet while Takara was doing their testing and getting their, their theirs ready. We didn't want to, they, they wanted to be first to the market and they deserved to be. And so we didn't really try to uh, go outside of them until they started bottling and selling. Mm-hmm. And then um, we also sell to uh, Sake One and they're affiliated with a Japanese company and I can't for the life of me remember which one it is. But um, they're in Portland, Oregon and they have their own uh, milling and brewing facility there. So we ship rice to them. It it really happened slowly. Um, you know, nothing in farming seems to happen quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, it takes a year to to grow the rice, and then a year to find out how well it did. How did, was the process then? Was it you going out um, pursuing other opportunities there, or was it sort of did word kind of get out that hey, there's this. <laughs> There's this team out in Arkansas that's that's bringing this out into the world. We should we should go get in touch with them. At first, we tried to kind of reach out, and uh, I don't know how the I don't know how the uh, information got to the news media, but we had a, a local, an Arkansas magazine, uh, find out about it. Some I, I don't remember how they found out, but they did an article and they called it uh, Arkansas. <laughs> after Arkansas yeah. and uh, they had a picture of me and they talked to me about how we got started in it and what was happening and all of that and from there uh, Blake Richardson out of uh, Minnesota Minnesota Rice and he's got two restaurants and a rice milling facility for sake rice and he had been doing milling and uh, making sake for several years and uh, he was really well versed in everything that you know we were learning also 
he's he came to visit he called me and he came the very next day from minnesota and we sat down and visited and started a relationship that's still going on so the big companies we send the rice um, to them directly the small brewers don't have any way of milling the rice to sake standards and so we ship to we ship the rice to blake and he mills it and drop ships it for us to all the uh, the small breweries and that is really that is really picked up i'll let uh one of the other guys tell you about uh who all we ship to and who's using our rice now and so um you know the connection with blake i think was really an inflection point for reaching a lot of those other craft breweries because not only you know does he have the means to polish it to the right ratios and distribute it but um he's got significant knowledge um and really kind of started down that path before most others did and interesting actually the Arkansas article from the local paper that my dad mentioned I think was a really important step to to get there and what I recall is is after that we began to explore you know what else now that we feel free to go out and kind of market this beyond just Takara um, but surely there are others that might want to buy this too you know this might be a good business so I remember just logging on lawn and looking for different brewers around the world that might um, might need some Yamada Nishiki and I might be able to grow it. And one of those that I came across was um, a brewery in Norway, and mm -hmm. they're not they're not in business anymore. But um, you know, I sent just a cold email, you know, just cold call email to them saying, "Hey, we've got Yamada Nishiki. Is this something you you um, might need?" And they said, well, we can talk about that, but have you ever met Blake Richardson in Minnesota? And it's like, well, no, we, we haven't. And so they connected us by email and that's how we shared the article. And so our, um, our connection there actually began through a completely random um, connection through Norway. And as my dad said, we've gotten to, to know Blake a lot better through the years and that has connected us to a number of craft brewers. And I feel like the market has evolved to the place now where it really does have some, um, you know, has some power underneath it and it's moving forward. We've got a lot of adoption and we're starting to see, um, you know, just a significant amount of, of growth in, in um, new breweries around the country. Do we, we want to speak on the, the, the sample kits that we've been yeah, sending sure. along to some people? Sure, yeah. please do. So we, Mark came to me in the fall last year and asked what I thought about sending out some small samples to the breweries, you know, any, any brewery that was interested. And so he created a pamphlet and he and I worked together to make kind of just a, I don't know, it's a, we call it a, a sake sample kit. And um, it has the different varieties that we've grown and they're polished by Blake, milled and polished. And we send small samples to breweries for them to look at with some more information about what we have. And, the first few that a funny story we live in a really small town and so like we live two miles outside of a town of 220 people so our post office is like super small and so mark compiled this list of the different breweries that we wanted to send them to and we got the okay and the addresses everything we packed these boxes and the first time i shipped i think i shipped like 27 and i walked into the the post office and the guy was just not prepared at all. And so I literally had to make an appointment at our small <laughs> post office. 
<laughs> I was supposed to be there at 10 o'clock the next morning because he had to leave at mm. noon to go down the road yeah. to the other post office. <laughs> <laughs> and so I walked in there with those boxes and his eyes just got huge. Yeah. But anyway, so I made my appointment and shipped boxes the next day. And we've kind of had a steady shipment going out since about somewhere in January. And now that we've sent a few of those, we get daily requests for them. And wow. so that's been fun. And the post office loves us because we're keeping them in business. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, that's wild. There you go, sustaining the local community in that. <laughs> so for, for a little clarity, my original idea um, was a vacuum pack freezer bag with some rice in it in a box with the pamphlet. So um, when I took that to my sister there, it evolved into something quite a bit more um, pretty and um engaging than my original freeze yeah, bag yeah. idea so um we're yeah. pleased with how it turned out very cool it's called it's teamwork you know yep. you work the ideas and it went from the vacuum seal bag to nice pretty containers with stickers yeah. you know oh, labels beautiful. for them beautiful yeah. beautiful oh you'll have to you have to at least send me at least send me a picture of those something like that i would love to, i would love to see what that looks like i'd love to share that in fact now a lot of the breweries that get them will tag us on Instagram. When I bet. Oh, I bet. I bet they're so happy to get those. I mean, that's that's got to be a point of pride for everybody involved to to have that in there. I mean, I think that that probably strikes a chord with everyone. Like you know, Mark, you were mentioning just that that sort of that desire to create something right. great from something great. That sort of those shared yeah. that shared passion. Yeah, it's definitely a and shared they value. You know, it's this. It's a chance for them to see where exactly it comes from, and it connects the, you know, the brewer to the farmer. And, and as much Absolutely. as we like sending those to the brewers, probably even as fun or maybe more fun than that are some of the home brewers that we we've, we've connected with because they're on that early stage of, wow, this is something that I'm really interested in. And those, you know, we've seen it happen elsewhere. Those home brewers are the ones that become the craft brewers that become the ones that are, you know, the regional brewers that are doing something really special so we we think that there are those out there that um you know that are going to be the the next interesting thing that happens in sake as it's continually evolving here in the united states we we have several overseas as well i think right now we've shipped out a total of about 100 boxes so yeah and i've got two sitting here on my desk that i was supposed to ship last week but i haven't gotten to the post office (laughs) So you yeah, got to make an appointment. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's the other thing. Our post office can't even handle the ones overseas. He has okay. to take them to literally. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, but that's, but that's super important though too. I mean, we sort of take for granted that every, like, it's not you know, kind of getting back to that supermarket conversation earlier. And, I mean, it's a little bit of a different scenario, but everybody just takes for granted that things are just available to them, you know, all the time that it can go and it's there, you know, and now you got Amazon, all these things. Well, I want, I want rice tomorrow. I'll get rice tomorrow. Actually, you know, there's still, you're putting demands on people and communities and, you know, to get in, in all different ways at all different levels and all different places. And so to actually bring this stuff to reality really just takes the, the time and the energy and the, and, and the sweat and, and doing that even, you know, not just actually producing a crop, but, just getting it to people. There's so much in that process um, for so and it's, oh, it's fascinating. We did, we actually made, while we packed our first boxes, we actually made a YouTube video that's on our channel. Yeah. You can watch us, all my family here at the house and actually packing cool. the first round of boxes to go out. Beautiful. So that's what we involved our, our both of our kids. Yeah. And so it was all four of us one night, we got us around the dining room table and 
packed a bunch of boxes. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I'm curious, what's in that box then now? I said you started with Yamada Nishiki and now you're, you know, you're sending out kits and different things. What, how has sake rice grown and expanded? Are you working with a number of different varieties now? Are you, is, is it something you're proactively looking to try and get out and create more varieties or produce more? Or are you doing it, is it collaborative, say with brewers are saying, hey, we'd love to have this. Is this something you can do? Sort of what is that process like and where are you at now? There's been some of that. Uh, the brewers have said they wanted a different, a certain uh, variety. Uh, we just researched and uh, what varieties were really popular in Japan. Um, the different characteristics of the sake from the different um, from the different varieties of rice. We now grow Yamada Nishiki Omachi, uh, which is has been really well received. Uh, we have Watari Bune, which is a very old, old uh, heirloom variety, and um, yeah, Goyakamangoku. And we have a a southern variety medium grain that has done really well that we have named uh, Somai. And uh, we're selling quite a bit of that, or starting to. You know, so the, the concept behind the Somai, I mean, we're, we're, most, we're most excited, obviously, about our premium varieties, which we feel like people can take and make some really special things. But we realize that with all these craft breweries and others, um, you know, there is shelf space and there is need for, um, you know, a more budget-friendly rice that produces solid quality sake. And, um, you know, in order for them to, to um, you know, create a business model that allows them to make the higher end, higher quality stuff, they need to have multiple SKUs. And we believe that, you know, providing the SOMI can really fill that niche so they can, um, you know, source the, the rice that they need to, to make their potentially higher volume, um, you know, more budget-friendly sakes. Yeah, that's, that's super important. Um, I'm curious, what did, what was the process of, I don't, I don't know to what degree you just go, I don't know if these are, tra- if it's trade secrets or anything, but where did, where did SOMI, where did SOMI come from to the degree that you can, that you're able to share? So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, most, most people think of when you, when you look at, um, when you look at mid-tier um, sake rice rather than your, um, your high-end stuff, you know, everybody in the United States has been conditioned to think of cow rose, which cow rose is just a basic um, table rice, a good quality, good stuff. You know, we like to, to enjoy it from time to time. But there's nothing particularly special that makes it better for sake than anything else. It mm-hmm. just happens to be what's available medium grain-wise in California. Mm-hmm. And it's actually not one specific variety. There are a number of different varieties that fall within, you know, that have very similar characteristics, clearly, but fall within a certain umbrella that's, that's called cow rose. So um, southern medium grain varieties exist as well that have similar qualities. You can imagine that um, those would also provide um, good quality sakes. So, um, you know, Somai is born out of that concept. And additionally, it is a single variety. It's not an umbrella of varieties. So what we believe will be an additional value point to that is that it should have a lot more consistency 
um, from one um, milling to the next, that it's, um, you know, it's genetically the same, exactly the same from one milling to the next. So you don't have to worry about, did I get this slightly different um, variety this time than the other? So that's, that's what we're looking at there. Interesting. That's really exciting. Or is that is that out into the world now? Or are you starting to get that out to? So, um, yeah, and I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. And, um, you know, there are some test batches being made out there, one of which we tried last week, which was, um, and I'll put it on social media, so I feel like I could share it. It's uh, a flake um, being the one that milled it was one of the first to also brew with it. And um, we got a bottle of that from him. Um, that he made at his brewery Moto E there in Minneapolis. And I was I was quite impressed with it. Um, as as much as we've learned to appreciate and enjoy sake, I'm still by no means a sommelier, um, but um, I thought it was good. Definitely superior to um, you know to other things that you try out there. So I'm excited about it, and I'm sure he learned a lot through the process, being the first first time to ever make with it. But there are at least three other breweries that I'm aware of that are currently trying it. And we feel like that will continue to grow. Oh, wow. That's very exciting. That's super exciting. I imagine it, there's other farms and other places and possibly other regions that are starting to explore this as well, too. Is that something you're noticing? Are you noticing more places starting to look at producing sake rice varieties? Is that a community or is, is, are you all tied together? Is there information sharing? Is there a friendly competitiveness? <laughs> I, would, I would say that falls probably into the more friendly competitiveness um, category. And um, it's not a large group. In fact, you know, we were without a doubt the first to grow sake rice in the United States. Um, and I'm aware, you know, we're a family farm that produces it here. I'm aware of one other company that distributes some in California. Um, but beyond that, I believe that's it. It's a small, it's a small group. So, and, you know, one thing I would say about, about our farm that, you know, scientifically, if this holds up, I'm not entirely sure, but I believe it does. But here six or eight months ago, um, I heard my dad talking about, you know, he's by, by far the one with the most knowledge about the, agronomics of sake rice um, in our family and he mentioned Hyogo being the place where you know, this is this is the ultimate sake rice right it comes from Hyogo, yeah. Japan yeah and so um, I got out my maps on my phone and I started looking at latitudes and if you follow the latitude of our farm and go to um, you know take it all the way across the Pacific all the way to Japan it almost goes directly over um, Hyogo. So, I mean, I know wow. there are some differences um, in climate yeah. and some some other things, but um, sure, you know that almost feels um, it's it's poetic at least, and I think it's probably scientifically um, to some degree meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. It's a combination, kind of a combination of probably scientific significance as well as something. Uh, a, a bit of destiny in there. As we well, hope too. we hope so. And so, you know, we, we clearly want to be the farm that supplies the, um, the sake industry here in the United States. And we, we are willing to work with, with all of those and throughout the world, um, frankly. Um, and so we want a, um, a collaborative relationship with those brewers so that they can come to us and say, Hey, 
you know, here's a variety that we really want to try. Can you make it happen? And the answer to that is four or five years from now, yes, we can, but we've got to, you know, we're, we're going to have to start. So if, if you, if you're yeah. a brewer out there right now and you're thinking, Hey, I would like to brew with this rice sooner rather than later, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> you don't turn that switch on overnight. That's a, yeah. you know, you can only make rice grow so fast and it takes a while to ramp yeah. that up, but that's the relationship with the industry that we hope to have is yeah. not just the suppliers, but, um, you know, the collaborators, the innovators yeah. that work with all of those breweries to, to help build an industry into something new and exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it puts you in a very unique position to have something that is so hyper, it, it's rather, it's rather hyper specific as far as its, its utility and its, and its purpose. But at the same time, you know, there's potentially infinite room for expansion and development i mean it's a market that has so much possibility to grow and change and evolve i mean it's that's it's such an exciting spot to be in i imagine it's not easy and it's it's got to be challenging in in so many ways but it's such a it's got to be such an exciting just a, i don't know just an exciting space to be in um right now and you know i don't know what the um the nature of you know rice farming or agriculture in the U.S. right now, but to be able to have, you know, a space in a position that's so unique, you know, uh, uh, you know, amongst all that has got to be, has to be, feel pretty empowering as well, too, to be in, in such a great, in such a great position. Well, you know, we're just grateful to have that opportunity. And I'll have to say that um, it was the forward thinking of my dad that made that possible because, um, you know, starting with the Japanese rice many years ago and then pivoting into the um, into the sake rice was um, was a smart thing to do. And so now we hope to, to grow with the industry and make that into something even, you know, even bigger. Um, and it is a challenge from year to year, even though that we see growth, it's a challenge to um, to sort of know how much and to um you know, to hit those right production targets. And so, you know, because we, you know, since we have to produce our own seed, we're not only looking at what we grow next year, we're having to look at what we're growing two, three years from now. And so, um, you know, you, you want to make sure you have enough, but you don't want to overshoot. So, you know, those are the growing pains of trying to grow with an industry like this. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's absolutely exciting. And it's, um, you know, it's, I've heard my dad say, and he may speak to this more, you know, we, if you look back at the early 90s, maybe early 80s, you saw the, the emergence and rise of um, sushi um, becoming more mainstream across the United States. Before then, it wasn't quite as big. And it feels like, you know, the sake industry is sort of in that same growth um, track. And I mean, I've seen studies that, that show similar things. So, um, you know, it does feel like it's an industry that will um, see continued growth. And we don't want to just um, be part of that. We want to be part of the catalyst for that too. Is the, what's sort of the nature then of the dialogue with brewers? I mean, as you mentioned, you know, in order to bring something to life that can then be utilized in a in a in a real useful manner. 
you said, it's not a flip the switch. It's thinking five years down the road. Who's involved in that conversation? I mean, not necessarily names per se, but is there, are you in constant dialogue with producers of different scale? Are you working with um, research institutes? Sort of what's the, you know, when you're having to, when there's so many unknowns, mm-hmm. I guess, um, you know, what's, what's sort of the, the makeup of that, of that relationship and what's that dialogue look like now? So, I mean, as far as the unknowns go, that, that is sort of the life of farming anyway. We're, um, you know, live in a constant state of um, unknowns and you, you develop a certain amount of um, not affinity, but at least acceptance of that. So um, that's just another layer of that. So that's, that's not so big of a deal. But when it comes to trying to, um, to see where the market's going and what brewers want, you know, Blake Richardson um, is our primary um, point of contact because he has a pulse on what everybody's doing um, and, and what they might want. And we value that connection. But also I'd like to, to give a, um, you know, a thanks and a shout out, I suppose, to the North American Soccer Brewers Association, which has ramped up in the past few years. Um, you know, some of those dialogues, they've been hosting webinars and so, stuff like that, I think, have really helped create what, you know, was a community, but was very sort of loose and created a place where all those people can come together. So, um, you know, I'm proud to see an organization like that, um, which we're part of too, as an associate member, um, kind of fill that role of being a, a gathering place for people that are interested in this product. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, a bit of an aside maybe, but I'm curious, do you have many relationships with Japanese rice farmers? Are, is there communication? Is there dialogue there? Is there shared information or has that been part of your, part of your growth over, over the years? Not really, um, not really rice farmers. I mean, I've met several. We've had taste tests with the Koshi Ikari pairing ours against theirs and through the years, a lot of that, but we have had, um, and one, one particular was um, uh, Yukindo Suno. He's, he's uh, I hope he's still doing fine last I talked to him. But uh, he's an elder gentleman, but he used to be the Dean of Agriculture at Totori University. Okay. And uh, Dr. Suno would come to the farm once a year and stay here with us in the guest house. And he would, um, go with me all over the farm and look at specifically the Koshikikari and see how it was growing and looking at this and looking at that. Uh, a funny thing, when he first got here, the first thing he did was to eat some of the dirt. Mm. <laughs> he, picked up, he picked up some dirt and tasted it and said, this is really good soil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, we became that palate is, is finally is finally yeah. tuned to his craft. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't ask him what the different nutrient breakup was, but we could have told me. But uh, we became really close friends through the years, and my family kids grew up with him, and uh, we called him Yukendo. I suppose means happy in Japanese. Mm-hmm. I understand that's a, a different name, but kids called him Uncle Happy. And, um, <laughs> But we have had we have had access to some really good good knowledge of the Japanese uh, growing techniques and and quality tests and, and things like that. 
Um, so the sake is is kind of growing growing right along with the uh, our knowledge our learned knowledge of the Japanese rice in general. What we've talked a little bit about, you know, the Soul Mai and the new rice projects and sort of that relationship there. But I guess stepping back into maybe a little bit more of the big picture is then what is what does farming for the future look like for all of you then? Not just, you know, sake specific varieties, sure, but just in general, what is it? What does it mean to be a, you know, kind of a rice farmer in the U.S. right now um, with COVID and all these things happening and just the nature of the um, agriculture and the domestic market? What are you all working on or thinking about right now um, when you're thinking not just next year, but five years down the road, 10 years down the road? Um, what's on your mind and what's, what's sort of motivating you all these days? <laughs> Jeremy? Uh, it's something we think a lot about. I mean, the Chris is a lot better than I am at looking five and 10 years down the road. I'm, I'm better at looking at what, what we have to do tomorrow, you know, Yeah. <laughs> but, but it is something that we think a lot of, a lot about. Um, Mark probably talked a little bit more about sustainability, which is something that we really focus in on. We, we want to be the very best steward of the land that we can be um, the water uh, and grow the very best, you know, crop product that we can and like mark said earlier that precision the technology is changing all the time and so trying to utilize that to to be more precise to uh, use the resources that we have wisely i'm not as involved in the the marketing side as mark chris or whitney on the uh the sake rice and the the medium grain that we're that we're growing now too but but I think that that's what I see is us transitioning to less and less of just the big acre long grain farm to more and more of those specialty products to kind of set ourselves apart from just the, the average farmer down the road. And what is exciting to me is we have, um, you know, we, Whitney and I have a son who's interested in the farm. Um, Mark has, uh, younger kids, but, you know, love to come out on the farm and hopefully um, they will get excited about what we're doing here too. And uh, we will have a another generation, you know, that will carry this on. You know, there, there are a lot of challenges to farming with uh, all the things that change in the world and all the, the weather challenges that you have, all of the, all the things that go on, but it's really, um, you really have to love the lifestyle um, and no matter what changes out there, just being a part of a family farm like this, knowing that it has a future to grow. Um, it's really exciting. And um, I don't know, I'll shut up and let somebody else talk, but I can't imagine after being on the farm for, you know, 25 years plus and Mark and I, when, Chris was talking about earlier having those 40 Japanese varieties that we grew in those plots. Uh, Mark and I were the ones that, that hand harvested those um, varieties. I mean, and that, that's, that seems like, you know, we were just, we were just kids ourselves when we were doing that, you know, Mark was probably against the life of child labor, probably, I don't know, but I don't know how you were at that point, Mark, but. Let's, uh, let's be clear for the record that that was not the case, but it's a good joke. <laughs> um, 
but we were we were we were a lot younger than we are now. We couldn't bend over and do those things that we we used to do back then. But but the point is, um, we got to have a, a real hands-on relationship with those varieties, and we didn't even know what we were do- we didn't even know what we were looking at at the time. And now we're 20, 30 years down the road, and those things that we were just uh, hand harvesting and threshing in, on small equipment and bagging up and putting in a freezer, not knowing what they were. Now we've actually seen some of those come to, you know, actual uh, be a bigger part of the farm. And, and that's kind of exciting to see. So who knows where we're going absolutely. from here, but. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's I, I love that you, uh, to you, the way you sort of talked about, you know, being stewards of the land and sort of tying that into the, you know, the various generations. I mean, Chris, just, I mean, just talking to you today, obviously your experience, your time on the farm has obviously changed so much in during your involvement, but then what you've then brought into the farm has clearly given, you know, Whitney and Mark, you're a very unique experience on the farm that was probably very different from Chris's. I mean, do you remember, do you, do you have memories growing up and having, limousines and helicopters fly in was and have I mean just having a Japanese community just in general being sort of a part of your experience is you know having professors come to visit um, and having you know relationship with those different companies and having those people just be a part of the dialogue sure it's your work but it's a family business right so I mean obviously you know you've had a relationship with Japan that's been probably very different from you know a lot of a lot of growers just in general it has been very different and it's been, but it's been fun. You know, I mean, like she's talking about Dr. Suno and then we had other people come and visit and it, it was just a different worldview. It, 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 we live in such a small area of Arkansas and if you're not careful, you just become engrossed in what's around you. And um, I don't know, it brought the world to Arkansas in some ways, you know, it just gave us a different, a different view and allowed us to meet so, so many people. And on, on a fun note, but they got so busy farming that they would have these different tours that would come through, and, you know, they, they would pay to come. And so um, daddy couldn't handle it anymore. So he passed it over to me. So I, I enjoyed the money as a, as a young teenager to be able yeah. to ride the bus. And, you know, I felt like, I felt yeah. similar to those people on a Walt Disney World ride, you know, when they're 20 yeah. <laughs> That's kind yeah. of what it felt like to be a tour guide of the farm. Yeah. It was it was a lot of fun. It was a good way to grow up, definitely. Amazing. You know, when compared to other farms, it's definitely different. But it was it was our normal, so it's yeah. kind of hard for us to to imagine it a different way. But I think Absolutely. it was very um, it was it was very important in our development as people to see the world as a bigger place, and a lot of people get the opportunity to. And having those relationships and connections with um, you know, people from other cultures, people from other countries, I think has been um, just inc- incredibly important in our own personal development and seeing the world for what it is. And so, you know, I wish other people could have those same types of experiences. So it's, it's been a business thing, but it's also been a, just a very um, human thing and a very um, positive experience for us. So um, yeah, very grateful for those experiences. It was, it was not, it was not um, abnormal for us to have company, Yeah, you know, to stay over for a week or two or from a different country. And like with Dr. Suno, he stayed six months sometimes at a time 
And so it, something funny about when he would stay, he, he, um, he loved rice with everything. And so we would have a chili dog, you know, and he would put his chili dog on rice or we would have, you know, just a normal American food. And he would always figure out a way to make, make rice, somehow put rice in it. But I don't know. I loved, I loved that man. He was, he was awesome. Yeah, he, he was. And I I'd wish I had an opportunity to see him again someday. You know, it's your question too about what rice farming looks like now, Justin, and what, what it might look like for the future. Um, so as, as Jeremy was saying, my dad's really good at seeing down the road and imagining what it might be. And Jeremy is good at figuring out what happens um, tomorrow. And you've got to figure out what happens tomorrow every day in order to get yeah. to five, 10 years from now. I think yeah. um, what I like to do is take those things and put them in a spreadsheet and line them up and see if it all adds up or not. And mm. uh, so all working together with that, hopefully we get someplace good five, 10 years from now. And I feel like a lot of these activities we're engaging in now will help get us there. But the biggest thing, and Saki Rice is a part of this, is as, as you alluded to earlier, you know, when you're growing long grain, it's a perfectly reasonable business, but it's a commodity and people don't differentiate one from the other. Mm. And commodities can be valuable some years and they can be not very valuable next years. And it's, mm. it's an exhausting game to play to, um, yeah. to just produce a commodity and wait for the marketplace to tell you what it's worth. And yeah. so, um, as Jeremy was saying, it's important that we continue to diversify into other um, specialties that sort of get us out of that race to the bottom commodity game um, that, I mean, it's, it's kept us going for 75 years now, but um, it's not always an easy game to play. So I think some of these, these other more innovative and creative activities are the ones that help you move ahead further. Yeah, absolutely. So then with that in mind, what is, what other sorts of things are you engaging? You were talking, we talked a little about the idea of getting consumers to have a better understanding of the product, getting, bringing that sort of relationship closer together. You were talking about, you know, sort of being stewards of the land and sort of the sustainability aspect. Do you have some sort of projects or things that you're working on or things that you're particularly putting some time and energy and thought into that you, you, you think will hopefully maybe add to your ability to sort of differentiate as well as get out of that, maybe not get out of, but not be fully dependent on that, on that commodity game. Yeah. So, and I'll let others speak to this. I don't think we're ready quite yet to, um, you know, to go completely public with the new product that we're rolling out, but we are doing some work in, in the other, in another space with regard to rice, that, that is another product that um, we should roll out um, next year. Um, it's not directly related to sake, but it is um, stepping away from the um, commodity game, so to speak, when it comes mm -hmm. to rice. And we'll, um, when it becomes time to um, to push that out there a little bit more, we'll decide to do that. But um, we're excited about that. And, and then, um, you know, we were talking, I was talking to Whitney earlier today about some of the things coming down the line. And one of the things that came up was that rice farming started here. Um, when my granddad came back from World War II, and it, it started, as far as we can tell, in 1946. And so um, 
I got to thinking the other day that um, that's 75 years ago. So that's a, that's kind of a special you know, um, anniversary. We thought, what, what could we do about that? So, I mean, our hope is our, in our 75th rice crop this year, we can produce a special section of Yamada Nishiki and um, work with Blake. And we've got some ideas about how to do some, some special things for that rice and make a 75th anniversary edition sake there. So I don't know where that will, um, where that will go, but that um, definitely goes in the spreadsheet and (laughs) is something we continue to talk about and try to figure out how we might make that happen. So um, yeah, we're excited about that for sure. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, Before that info goes out, you should have dropped me a line and let me know where I can get my hands on a bottle of, or or two of where that is. I got to make sure I procure at least a few of those. <laughs> that's amazing. That's so, that's really special. As you mentioned, the the social media stuff, I'll let uh, Whitney speak to that. And then I'll be glad to talk some about the sustainability things and some of the opportunities that may be down the road on that. We just realized that a lot of people in the world don't understand what a family farm looks like. And they get excited when you start to tell them. So we thought, hey, let's give them a glance. Let's give them a glimpse, you know, into what a day in the life of a farmer looks like. And so I have a 20-year-old son who was getting his degree in marketing and and he came to us with some ideas of what he wanted to do. And he sat down, he had a he had a plan, and he sat down with all of us and showed us kind of what his plan was. And so we started small in, in the fall with just some social media accounts and then built that into a YouTube channel. And um he handles a lot of that. My daughter does a lot of the editing and a lot of the graphic stuff. And Mark and I take turns doing the posts and things and I don't know, it just, just to give people real time, you know, into the life that we live. And um, I mean, we just kind of have fun with it. We're just ourselves and just, just give people, you know, just a little glimpse of what it looks like on Isabel Farms day to day. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun for us. It really has. We've enjoyed every minute of it. And um, it's got to be incredibly, I don't know, rewarding just to have your kids be sort of the, the central in the central role and to be able to share that with them and have be able to work on that with them that's got to be really special it's fun and they're learning different skills too i mean every every youtube video that they edit you know it just seems like it's just a little bit better than the last one and they're learning how to get different footage and different views and they've they've done very well it's it's exciting it's a, it's a way there's always i think people you know put farming in a box they think about farming it as as field a dirt and field with equipment and it's just so much more than that i mean and there's something for every generation to be a part of and um you know there's this is the new this is the new way of farming this is this is where you can let people into your daily life amazing yeah. and then when it comes to conservation and sustainability that's an important part of what we do. And that dates back all the way to what my dad was talking about with some of the landforming techniques that they implemented and really pioneered in the late seventies and early eighties that make it possible to use as much as a third um, of the water you would use in other types of production. And so what's happened over the years is those types of innovations have led us to, um, to be in a position to implement other innovations that, have, that help save water um, create better soil health and even reduce methane, redu- you know, emissions. So um, anytime you have flooded soil anywhere in the world, you know, the, the anaerobic decomposition of organic matter creates methane. And because of this worldwide, um, you know, unfortunately, um, rice production contributes 
you know, substantially to, um, to methane production. Um, but keep in mind that rice also produces 20% of the calories in the world that are consumed. So, I mean, you don't, you don't get food without any type of other payoff, you know, or other environmental cost, if you want to call it that. But what you can do is try to figure out how to mitigate or, or eliminate that cost. And so, you know, what has happened over the past few decades is rice farms around the world and specifically here in the United States, and even more specifically here in Arkansas have found new techniques to mitigate the methane emissions with that through different, different types of irrigation and things like that. And um, we've been part of a research project over the past five or six years, I believe, with the Agriculture Research Service and the University of Arkansas, where they have um, placed two um, high-tech um, methane measurement towers on our farm. And one on one field, one on another. And what we'll do is, um, you know, from from one year to the next, we'll vary the practice on those different fields. So you've got to check and then you've got a, you know, a, um, a data point of, of what's happening with what you've tried to alter. And we've found that by doing different types of irrigation practices, we can lower the methane emissions, you know, in excess of 60% on those fields. And um, so, you know, that's led to academic publications that they've put together, ongoing research and, um, you know, fairly wide adoption of some of those practices. And so, um, you know, we're excited about that type of contribution that research can make. I mean, that's another major, um, major um, priority for us is to always engage with researchers when they ask to. So that, that kind of research on our farm is fairly common. But when it comes to conservation and sustainability, that's been the one that's really been eye-opening to us is that, when that person does go to the grocery store and buy that bag of rice, um, they have a footprint. They have a, a consumer footprint. And the only way that we can lower theirs, their footprint, is to, um, to try to figure out how we can produce that product that they need with less or even a positive environmental impact. And so, you know, those types of activities can really contribute to every consumer that purchases rice that's grown here in the United States. And with, with that production, not only are we minimizing methane, we're creating wildlife habitat throughout the winter as well. And, um, you know, many other um, ecological co-benefits. So that's become a really big part of what we value and what we practice. And, um, we feel like it's an important part of our story as well. Is is that are is the information and sort of the evolution of that is that in is that information out there in the world and anywhere is that stuff that or is that stuff that you're sharing is that things that people can follow up on at all? So um, I mean the some of the research obviously has been published in things that most of us don't have access to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, or would or would struggle to decipher right, anyway. Right. Pay, paywalls. <laughs> that's another conversation. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there have been some some things in the um, in the normal press about that sort of thing as well. But it's um, I, it would be hard for me to put my finger on exactly where. But I mean, no, it's okay. it's definitely a known thing, and it's something we um, we share. You know, I've um, yeah. shared the story at different conferences, at different um, yeah. you know everywhere I get the opportunity. 
yeah. there's also there's also a camera out there all the time that that they can watch in real time from the website yeah yeah that's true so it's a um a live field camera so you I mean you can log on to our um we should probably make that easier to access but you can access it through our website yeah oh cool very good very good yeah just because you know you're talking about just you know developing that relationship with people and yeah sure it's a it's a bit of a higher ask to you know ask people to dig into and understand all those things but just to have just knowing that that you know that that research is happening and that there is you know a clear tangible sure impact you know things that's 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 just so that's so important you bring up a good point i mean that that is a story that we want to get out i mean even even things like talking to you tonight you know we hope more people will learn about that story but any way that we can get that story out is you know we want to tell it because it's um it's not just something that we pay lip service to i mean it's something that we we try to practice every day and those those research projects that have been going on on the farm they they have a they've shown to have a real value and the more people that know about it, not just so that we get a pat on the back, but just to know that because um, people are, are aware, you know, they're aware of, uh, that we have to be good stewards of, of what we have and, and of the environment in general, not just the farm, our farm. Um, so we would like to be able to tell that story to as many people as we could get it out to. We and a few other farmers were able to grow carbon neutral rice. And uh, through that, we sold carbon credits for the first time ever with rice production. And those carbon credits were bought by Microsoft. Okay. It wasn't a, wasn't a very big monetary deal, but it was a big deal that yeah. you could actually grow rice carbon neutral and uh, sell the carbon credits. Yeah. First time ever. Is That's a topic I get the opportunity at a number of different places to talk about from time to time, because, you know, here in the United States, carbon um, credits are becoming more and more um, a thing, an uh, ongoing conversation, both politically and, um, you know, within companies. And as my dad said, it was a great opportunity. It was a great experience. We learned a lot from it, but it wasn't very lucrative. So when people ask me about it, I tell them that, um, you know, I'll take them and buy them a drink and tell them about it. But if I spend the money we made from those carbon credits, it's only going to be one drink. Yeah. <laughs> that's um, yeah, 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 that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. So there's a yeah, lot of yeah, work yeah, yeah. that has to be done. And we engage in that process to too, done, both yeah. politically and, um, you know, with companies to make sure that yeah. whatever takes place, that those, um, the value that's created by farmers when it comes to um, either uh, you know the climate conversation or um, other environmental benefits, one it, it it can't get stuck with the consumer packaged goods companies in between that that try to you know take that for themselves, but it has to be yeah. adequate to to drive practice change. So you know we have to find ways to all work together to implement these practices and um you know we hope to encourage that for sure amazing 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 i have taken up a lot of your evening at this point um i appreciate all of your time so much that was absolutely wonderful that was more than i could have hoped for um i cannot thank you all enough uh, for making time um, and sharing your stories and your experience and your insight uh, with me here. 
we would also like to say thank you to you as well. You know, it's a great, great experience and opportunity to get the, get the chance to talk about these things. Um, you know, not just to be able to talk to a broader audience, but to be able to, to kind of talk through them as a family too, and to, to think through that. And so that's important and um, something that we value and we're grateful for the opportunity to talk to you and your audience. So thank you. I don't even remember how long ago, but a while ago, because we, we always listen to podcasts. We're a podcast family. And um, mm-hmm. Mark came to me with, with yours and we listened and we we're like, that would be super cool. If we <laughs> could ever go on there and tell our story. And so here we are. That's amazing. And honestly, and so this is actually, I mean, this is a really special opportunity for me as well, too, because as I kind of alluded to earlier, my relationship with rice, not just with rice, but with agriculture in general, I mean, it it began with my relationship with Japan. Um, and so to be able to take something that's become so central to my experience and my livelihood here, and just to be able to talk with all of you has given me an opportunity to then take that and connect that with my roots and where, and where I'm from, because it's something that was so separate from, from my life when I was back there. And to be able to, to, to tie those things together um, through your stories, um, just it, re- it resonates in a way that I know it wouldn't have, you know, 20 years ago. It's, 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 we're, we're, we're definitely all in this together. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And um, certainly want to extend an invitation to you when you are over this direction, halfway around the world, you're more than welcome at our place. And um, yeah, your listeners as well, feel free to reach out. Amazing. As as soon as I'm allowed to leave the island with a, and guaranteed I'll be able to return. (laughs) It's on the list. (laughs) That is something something we get requests quite frequently. Can we just come and even around here, you know, can can we just come show our kids the farm and how it works and then from other states or other countries. And we absolutely love to entertain people. So wonderful. if, if you're out there listening and you want to stop by, we love it. Nice. Wonderful. Justin. I said, I don't, I, yeah. I'd like to say that, you know, I told you farmers are kindred spirits. I, I spent quite a bit of time in Japan um, through the years and I came to love it. And for your Japanese listeners, the rice market opened to Japan and uh, other countries were able to ship rice in. But before that, it was a closed market and the Japanese people, farmers, produced the rice and um, I was there when the um, farmers were protesting at the Ministry of Agriculture, and uh, I was there, you know, I guess, you know, trying to sell rice, and I felt, I felt really odd about that, because I know that um, that's their livelihood, and that's their, their heritage also, and they were trying to tell the government that uh, Japan needs to be self-sufficient in their food supply. And uh, I agree with that. Uh, I see that uh, farming is a national security issue. Uh, we we saw that during the COVID thing. You know, people people have to eat whether they realize where the food's coming from or not. And um, I have my trip to Japan. I've truly loved. I love the Japanese people and the culture. And um, I, I really feel um, a kinship to to Japan and especially the farmers there. And uh, I'd just like to say that uh, you have a very, very great country and uh, I loved it. Wonderful, wonderful, Chris. Thank you so much. It's it's fantastic that 
your work has 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 brought all all, all this together. So um, you know, and multiple generations. So um, here here's to yeah, ho hopefully many 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 more generations uh, to come. So Chris, Mark, Whitney, Jeremy, thank you so much um, for staying up with me this evening. I can't thank you enough for for your time. Um, and I will I hope hopefully I'll be able to make it out to your corner of the globe sometime rather sooner than later. We can, we can keep the conversation Excellent. going. <laughs> just, just go to Hyogo and, and uh, go east. <laughs> there we go. There we go. There we go. There we go. We get a straight yeah. bridge, right? It's a, it's a simple, I mean, right? That's a simple and just, you know, um, engineering feat, right? We can, we can pull that Although up. I don't want to overthink this, Perfect. but, um, you know, geometrically, that would be further than going, you know, over the poles. So, yeah, yeah it's true. But you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to analyze the logistics right. of this uh, of this plan a little bit more, but it's it's we'll 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 put it up there for for thought. <laughs> Excellent, um, Chris, Whitney, Jeremy, Mark, thank you so much again. Um, you all have a lovely evening. Um, that was a, another episode of Sake on Air. Sake on Air is made possible with the support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association. If you have any questions, thoughts, feelings about today's show or any of our shows, you can send us a message at questions at sakeonair.com. If you look for at Sake on Air on whatever it is, you look at photos on or read about people's opinions on the world on, on your computer or smartphone, you will probably find us. Uh, please do follow us along there. And we will be back uh, very soon uh, with even more episodes. Um, that will do it. And come by.